Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace, where we talk in depth with everyday people about their fears and challenges and how they have overcome them. I hope over the next half hour, you'll be engaged, enlightened, and inspired to live your best life. My guest today is Russ N., a recovering alcohol and drug addict. He has been sober for 31 years and has agreed to do this interview in order to help others. He is also asked to keep his identity anonymous in order to protect his family and friends. Russ, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Candace. I appreciate you willing to share your story. I know it's not an easy one, but I'm going to start with the first question, which is, when did you first discover that you had an alcohol <laughs> addiction or and drugs? Well, first you have to go through the denial. And uh, I was having issues with depression, which we found out later was bipolar disorder. Um, and I was looking at the reasons as to I why I wasn't too much. Mm -hmm. And then I was in a situation where I started seeing the reasons why I was. And um, that's when I really came to the realization. When, when did you start drinking? I was probably about 11 years old. Wow. Yeah. And was it in your family's home? How did you get the alcohol? Well, friends had it. Um, we had ways of getting alcohol. It's not hard to get alcohol. Um, it's very readily available. <laughs> and when did you start taking drugs? Uh, considering the alcohol is also a drug, but uh, right. yeah, let's not separate the two. But I really got to start doing drugs when I was 13 years old. At 13? At 13. And again, readily available? Um, not as readily available as you would think, but um, you could find it. And how did you pay for these drugs? Uh, friends had it, um, so you could always mooch off them. Um, you could steal to get money. You could, uh, just, uh, I hate to say it, but I stole a lot of money. So you did steal. Was that from family, friends, strangers? Yeah, <laughs> all the above. All the above. Yeah. If I saw money, I could take it. And I could take it, I did. Wow. Mm -hmm. I know that in our pre-discussion, you talked about being institutionalized or going to a psychiatric mm -hmm. institute uh, in your senior year of high school. Yes. Where did you go, and was that voluntary or court-ordered, or how did that come It wasn't really voluntarily. Um, I was, um, it was a month before my 16th birthday, and um, I was, um, I had, used an exorbitant amount of drugs. Um, what I'm going to tell you, you're not going to believe, but I had drinking an entire bottle of the large white wine. I had stolen uh, bottles of Valium, Librium, and uh, Zantac. They're all... Um, prescription drugs. The prescription drugs, and they're all uh, depressants. Mm -hmm. And I was like popping the pills like... I drank the whole bottle, and I was popping the pills like they were Tic Tacs. Wow. And I was in a hypomanic state. Um, why am I still here? I did have antidepressants in my body. Mm -hmm. Although I had taken them off, they were still in there buffering the system, as I've been told. Right. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. How long were you in the uh, psychiatric unit? Well, first, I, I, they had taken me. Um, I had a, a, a huge breakdown at home and became very violent. And the police had to come. And they took me up to the general hospital and they put me on the, their site floor. Um, and um, at that point, 
uh, it was determined that I needed long-term care. So they uh, sent me, they uh, discharged me or transferred me, I guess it's the best way, to Shepherd Pratt Hospital uh, just north of Baltimore in Towson, Maryland. And that's where I was for the next 11 months or so, 12 months. <laughs> And what about, I, I want to ask you about your time spent for 11 months mm -hmm. in a facility such as that, what that was like, but let me kind of go backwards and ask about your family life. Okay. Uh, regular parents? Any other siblings? Yes, I have other siblings. I come from a large family of five. Um, I would have to say we uh, had our challenges. You could see we were a dysfunctional family. Um, when you have something, you know, I, I don't want to just... Uh, really separate the addiction and the mental illness. They, they're bound together. When that's going on with one person, um, it's a, there's a ripple effect inside the family. Um, and uh, in the 80s, you know, I think people talk about stigma. I mean, back then, you did not talk about it. Um, you did not tell someone that you're seeing a psychiatrist. You know, uh, right. I had to give it to the millennial generation. Nowadays, they don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now they're very proud they, of doing and going. Well, to you know, I mean, it, 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 and I think that's uh, really a good good thing. There's, people see it more as a medical condition, right. where I was treated as a behavior problem. Right. Um, most people know that alcoholism is kind of inherited in it's the just, family, and were either of your parents an alcoholic? I didn't know it, but my father was a recovering alcoholic. Um, and uh, I believe it's nine times more likely that the son of a male will inherit the, the, uh, the condition. So did you, when did you find out that your father was an, an al a recovering alcoholic? When I was trying to get clean on my own, and uh, I had been fighting, so you don't understand, you don't understand, and then he told everyone to leave the room, and then he told me. Um, that had to be... I guess somewhat comforting, but also very surprising and maybe foster a little bit of anger? It was a very um, tricky thing. You know, it doesn't go the way the story book goes. Um, he thought he knew everything. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, um, there was a certain amount of comfort um, in that. Um, I, I could look at things in the real way. Um, but, um, you know, my family really denied um, that I even had a problem with it going into, while I was into long-term care. There was a, that was an issue. They and, denied it. Um, yeah. But did they deny the fact that you were stealing from them? Yes, they denied everything like that. I was just a behavior problem. They didn't know that. At that point, I was really drinking alcohol. Um, and uh, that was my drug of choice, okay? We talk about the drug of choice. That was my drug of choice. Um, uh, I didn't smoke a lot of weed. I didn't really like marijuana. Um, yeah, I, I, I've never done LSD. People get wowed out by that. Never right. done any of that. But I do. Um, yeah, they they just denied all that. I'm stealing out of my mom's liquor cabinet. In, you know, <laughs> Where did you think that that liquor went? That I don't know. I mean, the animal de of denial right. is very strong. It is. It really is. Um, people don't understand that, you know? It's stronger than the Nile. It really is. Well, you mentioned that you had other siblings. Yes. Any other um, mental or physical issues within those other siblings? Um, I think that we all have a taste of the um, anxiety or depression at some point in time. I did have another sibling who, uh, 
who ended up going to Hazleton. Um, I just like to leave it at that for his, sure. for that person's person. You know, I don't have permission Absolutely. to talk about that. Um, but um, you know, now I have nieces and nephews. And a few years ago, I got a text from my nephew. He goes, "Hey, hey, what's up? How do you stop feeling depressed?" And you know, I always knew that text was going to come. And um, I uh, talked to my sibling, and I said, "Look, he came to me. I had no one to go to. He came to me." And I talked to him. It was winter time, of course. And um, and uh, I said, "You know, you, you could get outside more, get some light." I gave him. I knew a lot about supplements, and I, I told him what to take and all that. And um, he started seeing his doctor more often. He'd already been seeing a doctor, and he snapped out of it. And um, that's very impressive. Well, I'm just glad he had someone come. He could come to me. So you said that you had no one to come to, yet you had parents, you had siblings. What about friends? It wasn't a known teachers. thing. Teachers, I did not have a good relationship at school. I actually had one teacher that I despised because I felt he bullied me because I was going through stuff. So it's not a good idea to bully a bipolar person, by the way. Um, Mike Tyson has bipolar disorder. I just want to point out some people that have it. Right. Um, it wasn't, a, and uh, I did school, I just had dropped, basically. I wasn't really doing anything in school. Um, my grades went from B to D, and probably because they wanted to get me out, they weren't going to fail me, you know. Mm. Um, so I really didn't have anyone at school. Um, again, the in the 80s, you know, the, uh, it was really, um, I, I had a, I was seeing a psychiatrist who said you could not become depressed until you're 40. So he just was really... Um, That's awful. He, I think he really ruined my life. He took three years of my life where he could have fixed it. Um, uh, on the other hand, I'm lucky I got better at 16, 17, where some people don't get... You know, they they get late in life. I was so there's but I mean there's a lot of people behind the times. There's a lot of things. The stigma, like I said, then was really intense. Um, you did not talk about it, and I think that made the denial even more intense. And that's why I'm really glad that you're here on the show to mm -hmm. talk about it and maybe share your experience of how you did finally have the opportunity to quit and recover. And we talked about, you know, you're working right now. I imagine also with your history, getting employment might have been challenging. Um, I was really, you, you got to realize I, I um, had gotten it together before, just before I turned 18. So, um, no, employment really wasn't the big job. I've had some issues at the job. I actually have lost a job. Uh, because of our right to work laws and ways you can say things, mm -hmm. not so many words because of it, um, but uh, not because of it. Um, I ended up quitting that job because I had enough. Um, but um, it's not something I would tell an employer. I mean, I learned from that mistake. I mean, so not share information that is. Uh, no, I wouldn't really get into it with. You know, I. But let's go back to the to the bipolarism because you've mentioned it a, a number mm -hmm. of times, and I assume it was a official diagnosis. Yes, it was. And your parents had you on medication for it? No, I wasn't diagnosed until I went into Shepherd Pratt, the long-term care. Um, and when you're in long-term care, they what they do basically is they try to get you as low as they can in a controlled environment like that to see what's going on. That, hmm. It's really interesting that that's how they did it. Um, and they noticed that I would rapid cycle. I'd have my highs and lows. And mm -hmm. my doctor had me um, 
going to the nurse's station every day and uh, at certain times of the day kind of chart where my mood was up and down. And they had put me on something called lithobit, mm -hmm. which is a, a very light dose of lithium, and they noticed a change. And um, it, I'm sure there's other things, you know, when you're, when you're in the hospital, you're really being watched all the time. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not a prison system, but, you know, they, 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 they know, I mean, you can get them, there's ways that you're not being watched, but for the general, they're, they're, they are seeing everything and observing everything, and um, it's being reported back um, to your doctor, and um, of course, I saw my doctor about three times a week, and um, it was, they get a good eye on you, and they can see what's coming, and... Uh, did you resist any of the treatment? Absolutely or? not. At that point, I, I remember after that violent episode, just sitting in the in the car. It was really interesting. Part of me it was like fifty-fifty here. I was like, Russ, do whatever they tell you. You are now at rock bottom. The other part was like, forget about them. Look where they put you. You know what I'm saying? I, I, it was just the, the angel and devil on your on your shoulder. Sure. And uh, I decided to uh, go the the route of taken a year, entire year, to surrender, to really realize that I was powerless. And you mentioned hitting rock bottom. Do you mm -hmm. mind sharing what happened when you hit rock bottom? Well, basically, I had uh, taken, you know, the alcohol for all those drugs. Um, the next day, I had a fit. My father and I had been fighting a lot. And, you know, it's really, it's foggy. I have to admit to that. But um, I... Uh, I ran for a knife, and the knives weren't there, and I got tackled down, and the police came. And that's when the police came? Yep. And that's when you were first put into a psychiatric unit? That's when I was taken up, and I didn't come home for a year. <laughs> and it was a whole year from the first time? July 9th until July 1st. So, yeah. Does that go on your record as a felony or a no. or the criminal charges? I was charges? under the age of 18. Um, uh, they took me into a psychiatric facility, so no. It was never on my record as a juvenile. It's not on my record as an adult. Which is very helpful. And it's good yes. that you did get the help that obviously you needed. Yes. And you're now living a pretty good life, I assume. Yeah, you know, I have my moments, but they're not like they used to be. Um, I do have moments in the day, probably every day, where I kind of feel myself a little nudge, but it's not like I'm automatically going to fall into a, a deep depression. Um, I'm bipolar, too. So I don't go into a full-blown mania by going mm -hmm. to what's called hypomania, where mm -hmm. I, you know, this. Um, so you know, um, yeah, I, I'm very happy with where my life turned out. I'm very lucky too. Very lucky to be alive. Yeah. It sounds like it. Well, I'm lucky to have gotten treatment too. Right. A lot of people aren't going to get treatment. Yeah. And are you currently seeing any uh, psychiatrist? Great or? question. Um, I haven't seen a psychiatrist. I was his first patient ever. And, um, you know, now I'm 48 years old. Um, I uh, basically do phoners with him. Uh, once a month, you know, we, we're on the phone. It's actually at 6.15 in the morning. And um, then I go up and see him maybe every three months or so. Um, he, it's mostly medication management. Mm -hmm. And if I ever have any issues, um, I, that's how far I've gotten. Whereas I was in the hospital in a therapeutic environment seven days a week. 24 hours a day, because they do check you at night. <laughs> and um, then when I got out, I was seeing a psychiatrist. I decided to go twice a week. And then um, that was my first year of college. I was at a community college. And then, um, you know, now it's like 
any of these phoners, and um, I think that's where I am now. I don't know what the future holds, but it's probably going to be the same way. Do you think that you were self-medicating with the drugs and alcohol before you were able to get on a prescription drug for your bipolarism? Well, it's, it's I mean, yeah, it would help me cut the edge off, I guess you could say. Um, but, you know, to say that it's just purely self-medicating and not an, uh, an addictive thing is copping out. Um, mm -hmm. There are people that do self-medicate, and then I think most CD counselors have to do differentiate, is this person self-medicating or is this person an addict, okay? And, yeah, that was part of it. Um, you know, maybe that's one for alcohol, because that would really cut the edge off. Um, it's also very available. And, uh, again, if you're drinking alcohol, you don't have a drug problem. <laughs> so to speak right. that's right. what they I, you know we fought but unfortunately uh, you have an alcohol problem you have a drug problem it goes both ways it's the same thing so are you, <laughs> are you feeling that obviously the year in the psychiatric unit was a huge help it's the best year it's the best thing that ever happened to me and never any declines afterwards any falling off the wagon oh, so to speak no I, i've been sober ever since um and but i'll tell you one thing being in the hospital I remember in the school there and everything, you know, um, walking around, I was like, man, if I was outside right now, we call it the inside and the outside, right. you know, I'd be messed up, really messed up. And, um, you know, no matter how much you don't want to be there, you're very grateful that you are there. I can't say everyone was like that, right. but I was. Were there withdrawal symptoms in the initial stages of being in the uh, hospital? Nothing physical withdrawal, but you know, people say, you know, oh, psychological. You do go through psychological withdrawal, and it's not a fun thing to go through. It's mm -hmm. actually, it can be very dangerous. I, um, uh, the hypomania, rapid cycling started a lot faster. I would go into highs and very deep lows. Um, uh, I... Uh, yeah, there, there, there was some, some port of, and you do have the urges. Um, you know, uh, a lot of addicts will tell you about um, dreams of picking up mm -hmm. or drinking or something like that. You will have those. Um, yeah. So where, when you were in the unit, I assume there were other people with you? Yes. Were they all in similar situations in terms of? Give or take, most people were in for drugs, I, I have to say. Um, some people were not. Their uh, depression, uh, uh, self-harm. Uh, it's really hard because one of the girls was from Charlottesville and she's not with us anymore. I found out when I moved here, you know, uh, suicide attempts, eating disorders. Um, uh, one person had a, I know two people that had schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the stereotype of what a, a psychiatric hospital was, it's not, it's not, okay. That's it, sort of, I guess, what yeah, I'm getting at. Yeah, it, it, it was, um, I will say that the hospitals really aren't around anymore, though. Mm -hmm. Um, now, yeah. state facility, if you want long-term care, you're not going to be able to get where I, they've gone to day hospitals mostly because insurance companies aren't going to cover it. And I saw that happening when I was there, people getting discharged like right. two weeks in and yeah. You talked about the experiences of some of the other people that were in the unit with you. Mm -hmm. Did you ever do self-harm? Did you ever try to commit suicide or? No, I didn't. Um, there was a time though I did, I was very close to it. Um, when I was, I'd say 14 years old. Yeah, I was 14 years old. And I was going through just, it was a technical, it was winter, and I was um, being bullied at school um, in hindsight, you know, and um, I just had enough of it. And um, it, 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 it was, it, I had come to a point, you know, there's a line you cross when you commit or even attempt. 
I didn't attempt, but um, mm-hmm. I remember breaking down, just yelling at my parents. That's what I wanted to do, and um, and you know that that um, sounded some alarms. Um, How is your relationship with your family right now? Oh, we get along great. Yeah, just Excellent. wonderful, like the Brady Bunch. No, I mean we have our ups and downs, and ins and outs. You had me there. Well, you know it's a big family. I mean, come right. on, and we're getting um, but um. Uh, you know, I lost my father five years ago to a 12-day battle of cancer. I'm sorry. That really hits you, hits you hard. Mm-hmm. And um, I did get to talk to him. And uh, we, um, it's just amazing what we got. We really got far. And I would just, I remember my dad's obituary. It said in lieu and flowers, you know, there was five kids in the family, uh, donations to Shepherd Pratt Hospital, and I lost it. Nice. Yeah, I really did lose it. Five kids in the family. We've all had it. And, he had me online, and uh, yeah, that really was a special moment. I bet it was. We had gone from somewhere to a new place. Again, I applaud you for because it takes it takes commitment to go through what you went through it takes and to come surrender. out the other side. It really does take surrender. Um, uh, you know, we talk about the twelve steps. Okay, and I took that entire first year when I went into the hospital, and I said, you know what, Russ. Just do the first step the whole year. And, you know, and I went to an NA meeting while I was in the hospital, and there's a speaker there. This guy had gone through it all, you know, in and out of, in and out of uh, juvenile detention centers, in and out of jails, in a wheelchair, older man. And one thing he said that stuck with me is, uh, anytime you relapse, I don't care if it's because you wrecked your car, or your friend died, or you lost your job, it's because you don't have a first step, which is surrender, admitting that you're powerless. Mm-hmm. And um, because addiction has such a pull, and the depression's playing, the bipolar disorder's playing in there too. Because um, you have feelings of so great that you know nothing can harm you, um, and then down low so much that you should just give up. And um, I took the whole year to do, do that first step. Do you think that you would be where you are now without proper medication? No, absolutely not. In fact, I've had a number of people, we're in Charlottesville, and a number of people are all of a sudden herbal experts, and I'm not downplaying, you know, that type of, uh, to me, that would be an adjunct thing to do. I've, um, you know, I think exercise is important, I do think taking your multivitamins, your B12, all that stuff, fish oil, you know, but without the medication, I would, I would not be where I am today, absolutely not. And what about talking with other people or with a counselor, because you mentioned early on that you felt like you didn't have anybody to talk to, to share what was going on with you? When you go into the hospital, you realize that you're not the only one. You really do. And that is, um, God, that takes a ton, of, a ton off, your, off your back. You're not the only one. Especially the staff, they go, oh, yeah, we understand. Uh, you know, especially the denial of my family. Don't worry, we've heard it before. And it's like, really? You know, and um, uh, I had a very good social worker who did family counseling. It was the liaison between me and my family, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, a lot of people think I was in prison or something. No, it's far from that, you know, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty far from that. But, um, uh, yeah, it does help to just hear somebody say something and he's like, oh, you too. <laughs> it's like, and then, um, yeah, talking with counselors, uh, you know, talking with, um, we had to have one staff talk, which is a, a nurse or what they call a mental health worker a day. To get our point, and we had to have a peer talk, and um, we had a lot of things they put you on points for. Uh, and then they could add points if you uh, 
needed uh, encouragement, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, I had a negativity point because I was pretty negative, but um, yeah, you know, I mean, and, and, um, you go on level systems, mm-hmm. and the more levels you get, uh, the more you can do, um, and uh, yeah, that's that's how it works um, on that angle. Well, tell us, because we're running a little bit uh, mm-hmm. tight on time. So what are you doing now with your life? I work. Um, I've, uh, I got a degree. College is hard. I'm not going to lie. It's very hard to go to college and stay sober. Um, I was uh, two and a half years. I went to a community college first, and um, I made it through that. And uh, that's, I, wow. Um, I, I, I've worked in uh, broadcasting. I've worked in retail sales. I've, I've been able to adapt to... Uh, it's hard, but you know, you see an industry kind of go away, or you're not working anymore, and then go into a new one. And um, uh, you know, I, I learned how to sell, which is something mm-hmm. you can't really teach. And I am—I wake up every day, and I know I'm on a good path. Do you feel like routine is helpful for you, given your diagnosis? And routine can be your best friend. Um, you know, going to work when you're in a down state, I think brings you up um uh you have to know when you need to call your doctor and say hey i can't come to work today i'm not feeling well you know and you do have to know those but you can't you can't uh throw the towel in every time you're not feeling mentally up uh this is what you got right yeah and that's you know one of the things that we talked about i said mentioned in the beginning of the program is you were kind enough to come here Mm -hmm. and speak your truth to help others so what advice would you give somebody who is either diagnosed with bipolarism or is struggling with drugs and alcohol addiction? As you mentioned, alcohol is a drug, but mm-hmm. what's some yeah. sort of addiction? Uh, you got to do what you're told. Um, you really have to do what you're told. Um, it's not going to be fixed overnight. It's not going to be fixed in three weeks. Um, a lot of people feel that, you know, I, I talk to people in recovery and they go, yeah, I've been sober for three months, and I'm on the seventh step. And I was like, back up, brother. <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't work that way. Um, you have your whole life ahead of you. Um, don't listen to the nonsense, and you're going to hear it. Uh, and um, just don't give up. That's the one thing. Um, you're going to have your peaks and valleys, but you can't give up. It's not an option. It's not an option. I'd like to end on that note, because I think that's a really positive note that everybody, whether they have an addicted personality or just struggling with a fear or a challenge, is to work through it and not to give up. Thank you, Russ, for being here. This is Candace with Speaking Candidly with Candace. And remember, every cloud has a silver lining.